0: Thank you for bearing with us then. Um, As ever, we love a good technical hitch. Um, I feel like I'm tethered down now. I like to think of myself as a free range preacher. Less of that now, I'm tethered. Um, Happy New Year, everyone. It's great to to be back together. This is, as I'm sure you're aware, hopefully you're all aware, this is the first time that we've uh, gathered together as, as a community church. Yeah, in 2018, we're still in that early sort of stage of the year. Is anyone here still having trouble making sure they're writing 18 instead of 17 on the date? So I'm seeing a few hands and a few nods. Um, you'll be okay. You'll get through it. It doesn't last forever. You'll manage. Um, so new, the new year provides really uh, kind of a natural break really or an opportunity to think about the year to come, uh, to plan, to put plans into practice, to think about what Uh, we want to do and what we want to see in the year to come. It's what we do really when we make uh, New Year's resolutions. Whether or not we stick with them, that's a completely different matter. We can have uh, good intentions uh, at the start, but we're thinking about what's to come. But the new year also provides us with a good time to reflect on what has been before, to think about what's happened over the previous year. Maybe that will uh, shape us in terms of what we're looking to see into the new year, things we want to build on. Uh, Things we want to focus on based on what has been a time to reflect and and to think before rushing on too quickly uh, with what the new year has. And at the start of this um, new year, what I want us to do is to take some time to look back at what has come before. But we're going to go much further back than just on what's happened over the previous year. And I feel it's important for us to start this year together by looking at the big picture of God's story. That's where I want us to start. This year. So that's why I say we're looking further back than just uh, the last year. Actually, we're going to look right back at the big picture of God's story. That's what we're going to do this week, and we're also going to focus on it next Sunday as well, although we're going to be looking at it from a bit of a different angle and a bit of a different perspective. But that's the plan. Uh, So that's the plan. Actually, what we're going to be doing is looking at God's great plan, and that's the title that I've got for my sermon. Uh, At the top of my page, it says God's great plan, part one. Uh, And then next week, we're going to have the second part on it, thinking this through. But just to share where this has come from, I think it can be helpful for you to understand where maybe sermon series come from or how we come to to the decision. Um, Last November, we were at Relational Mission Elders and Wives weekend, and David Devenish was there with his wife, Scylla. David Devenish has um, been involved in New Frontiers for for many, many years um, in an apostolic role within new frontiers and he's traveled a lot. He's got some really amazing stories of what God has done in different places that he's visited uh, around the world. He's been involved in, say, lots of different nations, lots of different cultures, been exposed to lots of different things. And um, he was sharing some things with us as, as elders and, and wives. Um, I'm not, that's all going to try and cover everything he said because um, that, that's not what I felt God put on my heart, but there were some things that he said that really grabbed my attention and even in the moment when he was sharing them, I made a note of them and I thought I need to come back to this and I need to spend a bit more time on it, I need to allow myself some time to think on it uh, and to ponder on it because I thought actually there'd be something to come back and share with us here uh, as a church and as a family together here. I'm going to highlight the things that he said as we go on our way through so you can kind of follow my thought process a little bit. Uh, but it's also right for me to say, you know, this is where the things that he said that have influenced and, and got me thinking. So with the new year, um, I've decided that I'm going to use one of, those, one of those apps, Bible in one year. So I'm going to read through the Bible in one year following the, the, um, following the uh, this, this, this schedule, I guess, um, that this app has. Uh, And as you would expect at the start of the the year, with the start of the Bible, we start in the very first book of the Bible, which is in Genesis. If you can find your way there to Genesis 3, um, we're going to spend a little bit of time here at the start, just I think it's helpful for us to set in our attention on the the big picture of God's story and what God's plan is. But just while you're finding your way there, just to set the context of what's happened in the previous two chapters, Genesis 1 and 2, what we read of and what is revealed to us is... We see Creator God, uh, and we see, him creating, uh, um, we see Him creating the universe, we see Him creating the earth, we see Him creating the land and the seas, and, uh, the moon and the sun, there's night and day. We see His creation uh, through plants and vegetation, through animals, uh, through birds, <laughs> and then we kind of see it all culminating, really His creation culminating in His creation of man and woman, and we're told that He creates man and woman uh, in His image. There's something of the image of God that is, has been passed on there. And we see as well that there's this relationship that God has with Adam and Eve, where they're in, in close intimacy and in relationship and fellowship with one another. But and they're given uh, the garden in which they're living, and God says to them, He gives them a command, He says, you can eat of any, any fruit of any tree within this garden, but there's one fruit that you're not to touch.' And that's the tree of um, the fruit of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. And he says, and if you eat from that, surely uh, he says that then, um, there'll be consequences uh, to that. And then the serpent comes along, and he gets in Eve's ear, he gets in her mind, and he starts <laughs> sowing seeds of doubt. Did God really say this? Did God say this? Actually, what God's looking to do is to stop you from understanding. Things that he understands and seeing things the way that he, uh, the way that he sees things, and uh, it gets to a point where Eve gives in to that temptation and she takes the fruit and eats of it, she shares it with Adam, her husband, and then in that moment they, they see their nakedness and they feel ashamed of that, and they, they hide because they don 't want God to see them in in their nakedness and in the state in which they are, and then we 're going to pick up in verse 8 of chapter 3 and it says that they, that's Adam and Eve, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden but the Lord God called to the man and said to him where are you and he said I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself he said who told you you were naked, have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed to you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. And take also of the tree of life, and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the go- from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim, and a flaming sword turned that way, that turned every way, to guard the way to the tree of life. But the reason I wanted to start here this morning is because when I was uh, reading this as part of my, my reading plan, there are a, few, a couple of things really that, that stood out to me. The first thing was this, is that in light of what had happened, before addressing Adam and Eve, before he got to them and the consequences of what they've done, he speaks to the serpent first before dealing with Adam and Eve. And what he does is he announces and he points forward to his defeat. He says how the serpent would be overcome by a future descendant of the woman. There's a proclamation of God's victory. And defeat over the serpent. And that's what God does. This just struck me. God does that. And he pronounces this victory that's going to come. Before he then deals with Adam and Eve. The other thing that struck me was this. Is that God then does... Get to Adam and Eve. And he deals with the consequences of their disobedience. And he announces the punishment. That is the right consequence of what had happened. That there would be struggle. There would be toil. There would be broken relationships. There would be death. There would be separation from God. That that relationship that they would once known. Would no longer be the way it was. Yet immediately. God provides what is needed. To cover their shame. I think it's a really... In the midst of a a really desperate and incredibly tragic event that's happened, we see the grace and mercy of God as he covers their shame. You see, in these earliest stages of his story, what we see is we see a broken relationship. We see an estrangement between God and people, yet we also see mercy and grace and care as God covers their shame. And in the moment that God's relationship with man and woman is fractured, he's already pronouncing defeat to the serpent. In that very moment when it happens. And I think here, the reason I wanted to start here is because I think here we have a glimpse of God's plan for his creation. And this is where I want to come back to one of the things that David Devonish said that's really sparked me off. And, and has brought about what we're going to be looking at over these next couple of weeks. He said this. He said that God's plan was to transform the world through one that he would send. I'll say that again. God's plan was to transform the world through one that he would send. So God had this plan, and he started to put it in effect uh, through calling Abraham. Now, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, they were yet to have any children. They didn't have uh, an heir in that sense. Um... They were advancing in years so naturally the likelihood of them ever having a child was kind of next to impossible or if not impossible unless God was going to do something. And yet God chooses Abraham and in choosing Abraham he gives him a promise and the promise that he gives him is not just that he and Sarah would have a child which would be an amazing promise for them to have anyway for them personally to receive that promise, but that every family, every clan, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed through him and blessed through his descendants of the line that would follow through. And if we read through, uh, read through the scriptures, what we see is Abraham's journey with this promise that God has given to him. Sometimes we see him struggling with fear And struggling with weakness other times. i tell you what, we see Abraham really excelling in obedience as well. But he goes on this journey with this promise that God has given him. So what we see is we've got this cosmic vision that God has. The cosmic vision being that God is going to bless every nation of the earth through Abraham and through his descendants. You see that's that's way beyond just Abraham on his own. So we've got this cosmic vision. But yet we also see there's this individual contribution that God has. For Abraham. He's significant in this. He has a part to play. The way he handles the promise is important. Whether he is obedient or not. Has an impact on God's plan in that sense. So we've got cosmic vision. God's plan for the world. But an individual contribution. Through this man Abraham. And then as we read through the Old Testament. We follow the story of God and his people. It's a story where we see the people's ups. And downs, we see their successes and their failures, we see their shortcomings, but through it all, we see God's mercy, we see God's patience, we see God's grace, and we see His faithfulness to the promise that He had given Abraham. He'd spoken this promise to him, and all the way through, we see God's faithfulness to the promise He had given. And then through the Old Testament, we also hear of more promises that God gives, oftentimes. Uh, we see a lot of them through, through the prophets, the messengers that God gives these promises to the people through. We, read of the, uh, we hear of the promise that he made uh, to, to his people, that he would be their God, that he would be their people, this covenant promise that he would never break with them. But we also read of promises of a saviour, one who would come to rescue his people, to bring freedom to his people one who would bring victory and freedom. And through the Old Testament, we can trace the line from Abraham and we can trace his descendants all the way through. Just as God had promised him that he would have descendants, we can trace it through all the way, bearing in mind it was God's plan from the start that all of the nations would be blessed through Abraham and through his line. With the... um, with the, the particular app I'm using for my, for my Bible in one year thing. You do, it, you do three different readings in one day. So you'll do something in the Psalms or the Proverbs, then you'll do something from the New Testament, and then you'll do a reading from the Old Testament. So it kind of jumps around a little bit, but the idea is that you're reading the, the story together all the way through. And so at the same time as I was reading Genesis... And I was reading about God's creation, I was reading about uh, Adam and Eve's disobedience and the consequences of that, and then getting that glimpse of God's plan right at the very start. I was also um, reading through Matthew, through the Gospel of Matthew, and in Matthew 1. And the book of Matthew is uh, one of the four books that tells us about Jesus' life. And if you've ever read the book of Matthew, it begins in, perhaps in, for us, In a bit of a strange way, because if we read through Matthew 1, it starts with a list of names. It's a genealogy. In all honesty, it might not be the most exciting thing to read in terms of you are just reading a a list of names. And it can be the sort of passage that we might struggle to, to keep our attention through as we're reading. But this is the place that Matthew thinks, this is where I need to start. I'm going to tell you about Jesus. I'm going to tell you about his life. I'm going to tell you about the impact he had and the significance of the things that he taught. I'm going to tell you about his death and about his resurrection and what that means for for me and what that means for you. But I'm going to start with a list of names. That's the place where he wants to start. And he begins with this list of names that traces the descendants of Abraham. He says this is this is the genealogy I've got. I'm going to start with Abraham and I'm going to work my way through. And I'm going to tell you where this list of... Uh, I'm going to read you this list of descendants and, uh, and, and show you what God has been doing. This, most, this may not seem like the most attention-grabbing way of beginning a book. If you were going to sit down and write a book, it might not be the way that you would want to start your book. But in st- starting this way carries huge... Huge significance. And Matthew, it's not just that Matthew was struggling with a way to get his book going. He was very deliberate in what he was doing and in starting with this genealogy. Because by starting uh, this way, as we start with Abraham, remember with his God-given promise that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him and his offspring, we continue through, and if my maths is correct, and I hope it is, we read through 42 generations all the way through to Jesus. Abraham with his promise that the nations would be blessed through him and his descendants. We trace that line of descendants all the way through. And who do we get to? We get to Jesus. That's why Matthew starts in this way. Before telling us about Jesus and about his life, he's saying, look, Jesus, he's part of that line. He's come through. He's part of that genealogy of Abraham. You see, the Old Testament tells us a story And it's a story that Jesus completes. Not just at some sort of historical level. Yes, he completes it because he's coming through on that line. That line of descendants from Abraham. But Jesus is also the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. He's the fulfillment of the one who would come to save his people. And in Jesus we find, really in Jesus we find the fulfillment of all of God's promises. Ultimately... It is through Jesus that God's promise to Abraham is fulfilled. That the nations would be blessed. God's plan was to transform the world through Jesus, the one that he would send. In Matthew, as we do with the other three Gospels, as I've mentioned, we see Jesus' life. We hear his teaching. We see his example. It's in these books that we, that we hear of his death. And resurrection, it's where they're detailed and they're shared with us. And I think I say this quite a lot, but it's helpful to be reminded. The word gospel means good news. Jesus was and Jesus is good news. He's good news for the world. I think we get a really nice summary, really, of the good news from Paul in 2 Corinthians. Uh, And in 2 Corinthians... Chapter five, I'd just like to read this to you and think of it in, the, in this sense. This is, in, in a way, it's Paul's summary, really, of, of what the gospel is, of what the good news is. He says, well, this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself Paul uses this word reconciliation uh, and being reconciled quite a lot. Reconciliation is about relationships being restored. It's about being, relationships being changed from enmity to friendship. So from being enemies to being friends. And that word reconciliation, through some of the study I've done and reading I've done, really it's about relationship being restored because of the, because of the actions of another. There was an action that instigated this reconciliation, this restoration of relationship. And here it's Paul telling us that it's because of the action of God worked through Jesus that those who stand in their sinful condition, those who are far from him, now have an invitation to be reconciled to God. To be friends with God. To be brought into God's family. Isn't that wonderful? People who, in their sinful condition, stood far away from God. Paul, again in Romans, uh, speaks of people who have been enemies of God, yet haven't been reconciled to him because of what Jesus has done. See, Jesus' relationship with his Father, it was never fractured, it was never estranged, it was never distorted or corrupted. He knew no sin, yet Jesus became sin for us. And the beauty of that means that God no longer counts our trespasses against us because Jesus has taken that upon himself. And because Jesus has taken that upon himself, we are now forgiven. Totally undeserved. Did anyone notice? I think two of the the first three songs we sung, the focus was heavily on Amazing Grace. Having received something, not because we deserve it. Actually because we totally didn't deserve it. But such was the love and mercy of God. That he's uh, given us freedom. Not only has he, has he forgiven us. We also get to share with Jesus in his inheritance. Isn't that amazing? Surely to have been forgiven is more than we could ever have hoped for. Yet to have been brought into his family. To be able to share with Jesus. See through Jesus God's blessing is mediated in a saving way to others. And while we may not be physical descendants of Abraham's line. Jesus has grafted us into his family. Regardless of nationality or race or culture or background, history, class, status or position. None of that matters. Jesus has drafted us in. Sorry, grafted us and called us into his family. He's made a way for enemies of God to become friends of God. This is good news for all people. This is good news for all nations. This is the good news that we are recipients of. This is why we're here. This is why we're gathered here together as a family this morning. Because of what Jesus has done for us. We're recipients of the good news that we've been reconciled to God... This is the good news that we carry. This is the message of hope. The message of joy that we carry. But it's one that we're not to keep to ourselves. Surely, a message this good has to be shared. Doesn't it? Our call to the world, our call to our town, to our neighbours, to our colleagues, to our families, is the same as Paul's. 2,000 years has, have, has passed. But the message and the call remains unchanged. And the call is this. Be reconciled to God. There's an invitation. There's an invitation for anyone and everyone. Be reconciled to God. Even though you are far off. Jesus has made a way for you to be, Jesus, uh, to be God's friend. To be part of his family. God's plan and purpose to transform the world through Jesus. Remember, we've got this great plan in view. God's plan to transform the world through Jesus, who He sent. God's plan and purpose to transform the world through Jesus is now continued and worked out through the church. It's to be carried and worked out and continued through us. The ministry of reconciliation that Paul said was his ministry, that's our ministry as well, is it not? It's the good news that we must make known. Remember, within relational mission, we want to have this culture of everyone a witness. That we're, we're saying to the world, look, be reconciled to God. Not just, sometimes it will be through the words that we speak, but through words, works and wonders. The things that we speak, the stories we tell, the ways that we love people and care for people and bless them through through miraculous things, through praying for people and seeing God move. All of these things point people to God. And all of these things, if, if we are obedient to what God calls us to do, we can make God known. And we can say to the world, be reconciled to God. I was watching a video the other day from... Um, Another church within New Frontiers. And one of the leaders on the church was saying something. I found it a really helpful summary of what I felt God wants to say to us. And what they said was this. God, and I want you to bear in mind, this is for us here in Faversham. This is for us as the church globally and internationally. God has sent us to help people find their way back to God. I just found that a really helpful way of looking at it. I'm going to say it again, so I want us to really get it. God has sent us to help people find their way back to God. That's what it is, being reconciled to God. God has a plan. He has a plan to transform the world through Jesus, and by His grace and His mercy, it's a plan that we've been called into. Did you know that? When God called you into His family, He's caught you up into His great plan, into His great purpose. He's got something for us to be involved in. We're part of this plan with him. I don't tend to do this, but I'm going to, I'm going to do it anyway. In a moment, I want you, where you are, to say out loud, I want you to say, I am part of God's great plan. Okay, so it's not too much there. Hopefully we can all manage that. So, we'll say, I am part of God's great plan. Ready? Together. I am part of God's great plan. That is true. If you're part of his family, you're part of his plan. Now I'm going to do, do it again. But this time, instead of saying, I am part of God's great plan, we're going to say together, collectively, we are part of God's great plan. You ready? Ready? We are part of God's great plan. There's a reason why I asked us to do that twice. There's a reason why I asked us to say it with I, and then why I asked us to say it with we. And it's because of something else that Dave Devnish said back in November that really kind of stuck out and agitated me in a way. Which is not necessarily a bad thing. Remember he's someone who's been to many different nations across the globe. He's been in many different cultures. Many different settings. And his observation is this. So much of Western Christianity thinks I and not we. So much of Western Christianity thinks I and not we. As a church in the West. We need to listen carefully to these words. We need to listen carefully to that observation. It's a challenge for us. He went on to say that individualism and consumerism, or a consumer attitude, are dangers for us as churches. It's a sobering challenge, but one we must be aware of. There's a mindset and an attitude that's fairly prevalent in our culture, where the interests of the individual are paramount. That's the main thing. It's all about the individual. You do what you want to do. You be who you want to be. You make sure your needs are being met. That's kind of the, the culture, in a way, in which we live in. There's also a consumer attitude, where we, we pick and choose and take what we want, or we take what we think we need, kind of that take it or leave it, I'll, I'll come and I'll take the things that I want that are going to benefit me, that are going to be good for me, that are going to meet my needs, without necessarily having to, to commit in any way, it's just just taking what I need to feed me and to feed what I want. And this is the challenge for us, particularly in the West, culturally, that we face, and it can find its way into the church. Not just on Sundays, not just in times when we're gathered together, but in our relationships with one another inside the church, but also in every relationship that we have and into our everyday life. And we have to be aware of it. And I say it is sobering and I'm not trying to I'm not trying to be too heavy or kind of I don't want to make people miserable at all. But we need to be aware of this because it's a very real challenge to us. You see, we can, if we're not careful, we can assess and judge our lives. We can assess and judge our walk with God. We can assess and judge our church, primarily through whether our needs are being met, whether we're being fulfilled. We can come only expecting to have our needs met, to be served, rather than asking, how can I serve? Or how can we serve? We can walk away from a gathering only thinking about whether we got anything out of it, rather than asking, what can I bring? What can I contribute? Or perhaps the best question that we can ask ourselves is, what was God doing? What was God's purpose in that meeting? What was God saying? I might walk away from a meeting thinking, actually, do you know what? I'm not sure I, you know... I don't know if I'd been there would I really have missed anything or not actually the question is what was God doing because I don't want to miss that I might walk away feeling my needs weren't necessarily met doesn't mean God wasn't up to something doesn't mean God wasn't doing something what I'm not saying is that we don't ask actually I think it is important that we, are, that we do have a place where our needs are met. And we do have a place where we're noticed and we're cared for. And we do walk away feeling like, actually, I know what God is saying to me about his plans and his purposes. What I'm saying and what I'm challenging and what I'm hoping is coming across is that we, I don't want us to only ask I questions. I want us to be asking we questions as well. Dave Devinish again, very helpfully said, don't think, what is God's plan for my life? Rather, what are God's purposes? And then where do I fit or what is my role within that bigger plan, within that bigger picture of God's purposes? We can't allow the cultures we live in to supersede the culture of the kingdom of God. We need to be on our guard because it can be a very gradual, it can be a very subtle shift. We might not even notice it. But if the things of the culture that actually are against the culture of the kingdom start creeping in, we're on pretty dodgy ground, to be honest. We need to be aware. We don't need to be fearful. We need to be vigilant and we need to be aware that actually the culture of the kingdom and the principles of the kingdom of God supersede anything in terms of where we live. There's a guy named Jeff Vanderstelt, and he said that the gospel is not just about my individual happiness or God's plan for my life. It is about God's plan for the world. I think that word just that he puts in there is massively important because, again, what I'm not saying, I'm not saying you don't matter. That's not what I'm saying. And if, you, if, if that's what's come across, then I apologize. But I'm not saying that because you absolutely do matter. God loves you and he loves you so much in fact that he gave his son for you. In order that you could be reconciled to him. In Psalm 139, David writes about what it is to be known by God and to know God. He writes about how God was involved in forming him in the womb how even before that god knew every day of the life that he was going to live Zephaniah 3:17 this is something that was spoken over god's people says god will rejoice over you with gladness he will quiet you with his love he will exalt over you with loud singing Matthew chapter 6 Jesus in the sermon on the mount he he tells us he says don't be anxious about food or drink or clothing Don't be anxious about anything, because if God provides for the birds, if he gives them everything that they need, how much more so can you be assured that God will care for, look after and provide for you? We also heard from Chris this morning. Wonderful to hear her being able to share how God has healed her in this last week. The reason I've shared all of those last little bits is just to emphasise you are known. You matter. God cares for you. God has your best interests at heart. He has plans and purposes for you. But don't let your vision be too small, is what I'm trying to say. Don't let your vision be too small. Because you are part of God's great plan. And you should know that by now because you've said it out loud this morning. You are part of God's great plan. I had a picture that came to mind when I was preparing for this. I, I'm someone that quite likes working visually and with pictures. And I hope that. Yeah, I'm going to share it. The picture that came to mind is that we can either live with a smaller, that individualistic, individual focus where it's solely and only about me. Like. You live in life constantly looking in a mirror. What does, my, what does my life look like to me? What are God's plans and purposes for my life? Am I fulfilled? Are my needs being met? And, but only ever looking at the mirror. Never looking elsewhere. Or we can catch hold of God's plans and purposes we can see ourselves and we can see our lives in the bigger picture where it's not like we're constantly looking in the mirror, but it's more like we're looking through a window out to the world, asking God, what are your plans and your purposes for this world that I can see? And then when we hear what God is saying, and we would hear what he is calling us to, then go in and doing the things that he calls us to. You see, just as Abraham had an individual contribution In God's cosmic vision and plan. So we all have a contribution to make. Actually, what I hope is that makes you feel ever more significant. And that you matter. You have a contribution to make to God's great plan. That's true. If you're in his family, if you've been reconciled to him, you have a part to to play in his plan. As far as I can see, that's the opposite of being insignificant. That's been given a purpose and a role by the creator God. And it's true for us as individuals, but it's also true for us corporately as a church together. God has purposes and plans for us as a church that will fit into his great plan to transform the world through Jesus. Next week we're going to be, I want us to think a little more, a little more about how we work this out. Together, so it's gonna be a fairly different tact of what I've taken today. But my heart and what I hope has come across this morning is that we, by we, I mean each one of us, head into the new year with God's great plan at the very fore, confident to ask him what his purposes are and what role he would have us to play. Gonna ask the band to come up. What I've asked is I want having heard this, I want to turn our attention and our focus right back to Jesus. And we're going to sing a song or two. We'll see how the goes. We're going to celebrate Jesus together. We're going to thank him. We're going to give him praise and thanks for who he is and for what he's done for us. Because he's the one who's reconciled us to God. He's the one who's turned us from enemies of God to friends of God. It's Jesus. He's the one who's done everything that was needed. Not just for us to be forgiven, but... He shares everything of himself with us as well. And it's because of Jesus that we're called up in this great plan to see the world transformed. I hope that excites you. I really hope that excites you. God has a plan to transform the world. God has a plan to transform Faversham. God has a plan to transform the towns and the villages in which you live and the communities in which you find yourselves. And that's been his plan from the very beginning. But he's called us up into that. And that's because of Jesus. Shall we stand? And we're going to, let's come and let's turn our attention and our focus back to Jesus. Let's praise him and worship him, shall we?